Hey, how you doing? I'm Steve Holland. Welcome to another one. This episode is supported by my course, How to Get Started Being Freelance. So if that sounds like it could be useful to you, go take a look. If it sounds like it could be useful to somebody you know, please do share it with them. Everything you need to get started being freelance is at beingfreelance.com. Right now, though, let's find out what it's like being freelance for speaker and facilitator Kat Velos. I am fiercely independent. And I don't believe in asking for permission to do things that are simply possible for me already. Individuals who care enough about a thing can apply their skills and talents to create change in the world, and they need not ask for anyone's permission to do that. It's not just about the money, it's also about who's in the audience, like what is the value of speaking to this particular group of people. And sometimes that means you're a little bit more flexible with your rate because it's a group of people that you really, really want to connect with and who might lead to future work. It's a different way to live and it's a different way to work than maybe what a lot of us are told as kids. Of like, when are you going to drop? You go work at a company and then one day you die. Like... <laughs> Being freelance or working independently is such a cool opportunity to literally design the kind of work life that you want. So there's Kat's her story coming up very soon indeed. Don't forget there are show notes and transcriptions for every single one of our guests at beingfreelance.com. So there's over 250 episodes. And genuinely, some people do go back and listen to them all. There's some cracking stuff in there. And remember, it doesn't matter what they do for a living, as in it doesn't have to be the same as you, because it's all about the being freelance. So yeah, take a look at beingfreelance.com. Also, say hi on Instagram at beingfreelance and the same on twitter at being freelance if you're sharing the podcast tag me in it's always very nice to see what you're up to we've also just announced the latest book club the being freelance book club over in the community if you fancy reading along with us and joining in the discussion we are reading do open by david hyatt it's all about using an email newsletter to build your business which um, I think it's fair to say most of us as freelancers know that we should be doing or could well be doing some of us may be doing it but maybe feeling like we're not doing it great Uh, so I'm intrigued to read this one I know lots of others are as well it's a quite a short book by the looks of it Uh, lots of people saying it doesn't take long to read so if you fancy joining us maybe it could even be your first book club experience come find us in the being freelance community it'd be great to see you there all the details at beingfreelance.com right let's crack on with this week's guest and that is freelance speaker and facilitator kat velos hey kat hey steve thanks for doing this now as ever how about we get started hearing how you got started being freelance so i've really got two different ways i've been freelance and the past version different differs from the current version uh so started out doing freelance graphic design and uh, design work on the side of whatever my day job was because like many people i've worked very long (laughs) uh, time in the corporate world or the nonprofit world or just basically working for other people. And during that time, I always had freelance design on the side. Lately, i.e. within the last year, year and a half, I started working for myself uh, independently full time. And that really uh, kicked off around the release of my book and the way that the world was responding to me after that. And it became very clear quickly that I was going to be doing this full time. 
Interesting. Okay. What sort of designer were you? So I got my degree in graphic design. And over the years, I've done graphic design, visual design. Most recently, I was doing UX design and uh, product design for digital websites and apps and things of that nature, uh, like Slack, Pandora, some startups here in the Bay Area. So you were working in-house at the likes of those companies and then freelancing on the side. How did you go about getting those freelance clients when you were doing that? So I was doing more of my freelance design on the side. I would say before, honestly, I got into doing UX full time because it's just a very different pace (laughs) of work. Um, And so, for example, after I graduated college, I was working as an art director of Alternative News Weekly. And, you know, I would do freelance on the side because I had a pretty sizable community that knew I was a designer. And so um, it was really through word of mouth that I would get most of my freelance gigs that way. And it was just something I did on the side because it was really meaningful to me to always have a creative practice outside of my day job. Some of that side thing has sometimes been work, like freelance, and some of it's not been non-work and just creative practice, side projects, things like that. Mm. When you said you, you had a sizable community, in what way? Well, after I graduated college, I stayed in my college town for about another five years. And Mm -hmm. so when you stay in in one place that long, and it was not a big, big city, you just get to know people. You just get to know so many people in the community. And so in that way, I knew who a lot of people were. A lot of people knew who I was. I was also running like a spoken word night that was like every two weeks for four years. So like I was visible in public and people knew that I was a designer and a writer. And and so simply by being known and part of a community, like really embedded, uh, then you get a lot of like word of mouth referrals and things like that. When it came to sort of pricing those freelance work, so, you know, some of it was your own thing, your own side projects. But for the things that you were getting paid for, how did you find setting that so so that you know you were doing it for a creative point of view but you know it's nice to earn money on the side (laughs) yeah and you know back in the day like we did not have websites like there are nowadays that just you know create this amalgamation of all the rates that freelancers are charging in all different (laughs) regions for all different kinds of roles and all different kinds of work like you just did not know what other people were doing and I will say looking back on it I was definitely undercharging a lot (laughs) Uh, for all kinds of things. And it was because like, there was not a lot of like Americans in general don't like to talk about money. Um, It's often considered rude. And so it's like, there's just like a black box. You're like, I'm not sure. Like maybe I could ask like this designer buddy or that designer buddy, like, do you think this is a good price? But looking back on it, uh, I I was given away work at a steal. (laughs) (laughs) And so what what sort of period are we talking about years wise, just to put things in perspective for people? Yeah, so that would have been from about uh, the year 2000 to about 2010 or so. But then in the last like six, seven years, you know, doing UX design and product design full time, it's, yeah, the analogy I always make, you know, they always say like, if you have a job like cooking burgers all day, the last thing you want at the end of the day is to see more burgers. (laughs) Um, And in a similar way, like I have an interest and a passion in anything related to design because that is my training. That is like how I see the world. That is is what I do. Um, But at a certain point, it was like, I can't just spend all my free time doing the exact same thing I do all day long. That is just a recipe for burnout. Um, And so, yeah, I, it was a very different experience. And I definitely pulled back on the freelance design work I was taking at that time. Um, kind of hit the pause button because I, I just need to recharge in a different way. 
and to be creative in a variety of different ways. Right, yeah. But through, you know, Cat 1.0, Freelance 1.0, um, and into you know that period where you stopped doing that, were you, you know, like if, if people go to beingfreelance.com now and they click through on the various links that we always have for guests, they'll go and they'll see you and your personal brand. And I'm wondering how that emerged. Like, did you already have that sort of presence, uh, you know, back in between 2000 and 2010? Or did you start yeah. to develop it while you were working in-house this second time I shouldn't say second more the ladder, but you know what more I mean. More the ladder, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Because again, before it was all like word of mouth. I was not as focused necessarily as I am today on like, oh, do I have a personal brand? Like, and even the conversation around those things, I think, was different in that era than it is today. And uh, I didn't see any specific need to go beyond that. Like, I had a very minimal web presence before. Um, and honestly, it was more so like blogging <laughs> than, uh, you know, heavy, heavy design stuff. And so, yeah, it was it was just a completely different time on the Internet and a completely different time in my life. So how did you start to change that towards where you are today? So I wrote a book and that took several years. And that was honestly what I was doing on the side of my day job more recently. And I don't know if you've written a book, Steve, but it takes a lot of time. You can't really... I have you so limit. much respect for people who write books. Yeah. <laughs> you got to limit how many things you're going to try to juggle simultaneously if you're working on a book because it takes so much time. And so, yeah, there was no way I was going to be doing extra design work on the side while I was also working on a book and working full-time in-house as a designer. And so that was my number one project that I was doing outside of work for the last several years, as I said. And when the book was released, very, very quickly, it became apparent to me that I was like at a crossroads. And I was like, I'm either going to keep my day job and say no to all of these opportunities that are actually coming to me from the release of this book, or I'm going to say goodbye to this day job and do this full time. And there was enough volume in terms of like requests that I could do it full time. And I was very excited and motivated to do it full time because like having a like releasing a book is so, like I've never had kids, but it's sort of me to me. It felt like having a kid because like <laughs> it's it's released to the world and it's this like newborn and you just want to spend all your time with it. <laughs> and other people want to talk to you about it. You're like, yeah. And they're yeah. like, oh, we love it. And you're like, I love it, too. Like you just like, <laughs> gosh, it's just so exciting. And keep, keep sharing pictures of it online. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Did it let you sleep? It very little, very oh, little. Okay, sleep. yeah, it's just like it. <laughs> and so it it was really that way where I was like very compelled to give it all the attention it needed to grow and thrive. Mm. And the world was like, "Wow, like share your baby with us. Like we want to see it. We want to be a part of it." And so the inbound requests I was getting for speaking and consulting and facilitation and all of the things that I have, you know, done at different capacities over the years, it was like, oh, this is what I, the world is asking me to do this full time now. Okay. Put in my two weeks notice. And I was like, okay, here we go. And like very immediately just started working independently from that point forward up until where we are today. Okay. There's so much that I have to ask you. First up, I feel like I need to lay some groundwork. What was the book? What caused you to spend seven years like writing something what was it so it was the book is about adult friendship the title is we should get together 
The Secret to Cultivating Better Friendships. And I wrote this book because one of the things that I realized when I moved to the Bay Area is that I and many, many, many other people were having a hard time creating the kinds of friendships that we really wanted to have in adulthood. And I'm an introvert, but I'm very, but I'm not shy. I don't like dislike people or anything like that. I love people. I love connecting. Um, and one of the things I've done over the years uh, is run different kinds of communities and like bring people together around like shared values or shared creative practice. And when I moved to the Bay Area, I was meeting really cool, really smart, amazing people all the time. But a lot of those conversations were one-offs. They would not necessarily continue into an ongoing friendship. Or I would make friends with people and very quickly they would move away because this is a highly transient area and people come and they go and it's just this thing. And I was meeting lots and lots and lots of people who said that they were having a hard time making friends during adulthood. They were pretty much RSVPing to an event that I hosted called Better Than Small Talk. And they would describe how they were having a hard time making friends. And I was like, this doesn't make any sense because these people are so lovely and so like friendly and there's no reason why they should have a hard time. And so I got really curious about that and being a user experience designer, you know, in a nutshell, that job means investigating anytime people you know, have a task to accomplish or face a challenge accomplishing a task and then designing better solutions to solve that problem so people don't struggle with that thing anymore or so that the process is easier and more simple. And so I used all of the same skills I was using in my day job in a way uh, to research, do qualitative interviews and research and writing to come up with what are some better designs for how we can have connection during adulthood. So in a way, it was like related to my work, but it was completely different because it wasn't about creating an app or a website or a visual design or graphic design. It was creating experiences wow. that lead to connection. Yeah, it's fascinating. And and did you get a publisher or did you self-publish? Like, what was what was that like? The thing to know about me, Steve, is I am fiercely independent. And I don't <laughs> believe in asking for permission to do things that are simply possible for me already. Yes. And... My first job out of school, in fact, was working for an independent Newsweekly that was like award winning every single year, like amazing investigative journalism, like beautiful, like writing. And I was art director of this for four years. And so what I saw as my first example in young adulthood was like individuals who care enough about a thing can apply their skills and talents to create change in the world. And they need not ask for anyone's permission to do that. And that is the way I like to live my life. So... Uh, having a background doing editorial layout and laying out, you know, many, many thousands of words long stories and really loving type and really loving illustration and really loving research. I was like, I am capable of creating this book. There is nothing to stop me. And uh, I did a lot of research into the different avenues available to either seeking a publisher who like maybe will buy your idea and then take most of your profits, or you can do it yourself. I'm a DIY kind of person. I was like, this is very clear. I was like, I'm just going to do this myself. Um, and that's one thing that as a designer and as somebody who has a background doing editorial layout and has laid out books many, many times, I don't need to ask somebody else to help me make a book. Like I already know how to do that. Yeah. <laughs> and even, you know, I got some consulting along the way from other people who had, you know, worked in book publishing and they were like, wow, that like you should sell this to an agent. Do you want me to connect you to someone? And I was like, Maybe, but that's not my goal. My goal is to help people and I'm going to do this the most efficient way I know how. And that's to get it done on my own timeline. 
But then when it came to putting it out into the world, how did you get eyes on it? So one really lovely thing is that in our world, many lovely people have created tools that make such things easier. One of them is Ingram, which is a publishing house, and they have an entire wing of their work called Ingram Spark, which is for independent publishers. And you get to use Ingram's, like the parent company, Ingram's worldwide distribution network. You get to use that when you create a book with them. And so I was like, oh, I'll just sign up for this. Here we go. And like, they are the ones who help get the book to Sweden and Mexico City and Spain and Australia. I'm not shipping those books. They are. Um, and that's really amazing that that's an, an option that's available to people mm. now. That's one part of it. And then the other part of it for any writer, I'm sure if there's like other authors out there who know this, is like it's not just about writing. It's also about creating a community of people who care about the thing that you're writing about and want to engage about mm. it, you know? So getting community and building relationships, which are all things I really love, is a part of that process. And so whether it's through engaging with people on social media, I also run a weekly newsletter, like I also run events, which, you know, it's different during COVID than IRL, but all of those are things that come naturally to me and they are necessary if you want your book to be a success because you have to tell people about it. I clearly have to ask about these communities then because you've, um, I mean, you've you've mentioned them and it's, it sounds like they've probably helped you in many different ways. And it sounds like there's more than one. Like, can, can you talk me through what communities has sort of meant for you and, and how it's sort of happened for you? Yeah. So over the years, I've put together and facilitated a number of different communities that were all connected to either some part of my identity or my creative practice. So for example, I, let's see, right after college, when I was working at that magazine, I described the town that I lived in had a very thriving arts community, like visual art community and music community, but it didn't have necessarily a very strong active like literary community and I being an active poet and spoken word artist like I was like we need this because I was regularly driving 45 minutes away to Jacksonville the next biggest city to attend spoken word events and I was like I couldn't organize this myself and so I started organizing an event I called Poet Speak that I created and ran every two weeks for four years where people could come together and sort of have that open mic experience and that you know, supportive community experience around sharing poetry together. And that was the first community I ever ran. And it was honestly like such a positive experience. I was like, oh, I, I just like doing this. <laughs> Later on, I learned that there's a word for this called facilitation. Um, and I got trained and, and certified as a facilitator. And I did facilitation for many years in the Seattle area around creative community. Um, most recently here in the Bay Area, I also started a community called Bay Area Black Designers, it is exactly what it sounds like. We're in the Bay Area. We are Black designers. <laughs> um, and this is a <laughs> professional development community and uh, just a supportive place because, quite honestly, the design community is not that diverse. And many of us mm -hmm. have been the only one inside of a company um, and have not necessarily had the chance to have community with other people who look like us in our profession. So that's one group that I've run as well for the last five or six years. Wow. And so there was a point where the referrals for your freelance 1.0 work were coming from these sort of communities as well, people knowing what you did, right? Yeah. And now there's there's these people who get to know you and are passionate about your book. So the book was released, when was that? The book was released in January 2020, January 4th. And shortly after that, 
what happens is like a buzz. Yeah, because when you release something big like that to the world, I heard a quote when I was writing the book that says your book really has two lives. It has the life it lives while you're creating it and writing it. And then it has its own life after you give it to the world. And that was very true for me. Like you, you just don't know what's going to happen. You know, you can do as much prep work and, you know, promotion and all of the things you're supposed to do should help make that a less mysterious process um, and a little bit more predictable, but you just never know. And so that was very much what it felt like, you know, and I love that feeling of anticipation when you release something to say, what's, what's going to happen next? What can we learn from what happens? And very quickly, I started getting inbound requests for speaking and for facilitation and for people who wanted to learn from this body of work I had put together. And so then I was like, it was literally just came down to logistics of there's only so many hours in the day. And it's one thing to write a book at night and on the weekend, but you can't necessarily engage with the rest of the world at like 11 at night or, you know, at some random hour on the weekend. So it just came down to logistics. I was like, if I am going to say yes to these invitations, there is no way that I can also be working 40 or 50 hours a week at my job, like sitting in meetings when I could be doing this other stuff. And so I chose to do the thing that the world was asking me to do, which was to focus on this full time. And so was that when you then started to create your new I guess your brand. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, a part of sharing anyone's, you know, work or, or creativity or offering to the world is telling the world what you are there to do. And in many ways it was it was kind of like a dance. Like the world was like, We see this thing that you do <laughs> or that you know or that you can offer and we want it. Will you do more of that? And for me to say, Yes, I will do that and part of that also means clarifying how I describe what I'm doing to the world. So for example, I spend most of my time now speaking and facilitating around this body of work. I'm still a designer. I design different things now and I'm designing for IRL, like in real life experiences for humans rather than digital experiences for humans. But that is still a type of design. It's just a completely different format Mm. and medium. How are you finding managing this new type of workload where opportunities are coming your way and you you know you need to make a living from it I really like it (laughs) (laughs) I really do um when I was younger I didn't ever think I would work for myself uh I think I was trained very well in capitalist western society to (laughs) enter like the nine to five and I was, I, I never really aspired to work for myself. And when people said they wanted to work for themselves, I was like, why? Like, what would that be like? But very quickly, I adapted to it. And I actually love the freedom. I love the flexibility. Um, sometimes I still have to get myself out of the thinking that I think we're, many of us are indoctrinated to about what work must look like. But I really, really enjoy it. And I love the variety. I love the mix of people I get to meet. I love the companies I get to work with. It's just really cool. (laughs) I really like it. Would you say anything in like your first experience of being self-employed, of being freelancers helped you this time around? I don't even know if they are similar enough to even relate to each other, Steve, because it's just a completely different kind of experience. I mean, maybe one thing that's similar is like 
there's some level of unpredictability to it um, because it's like, how many clients will there be three months from now or two months from now? But I like to plan far enough ahead. Like I'm booking gigs like Q3, Q4. Like I, I don't like to wait until the last second and I like planning things and I like cultivating relationships. And so um, by being in this constant conversation again with the world, not just like sitting alone in a room, uh, then there's less unpredictability to it. And there is more structure and there is more idea of, of what's on the horizon. Now, one thing uh, that struck me was when I usually reach out, you know, to a potential person to be on the podcast and then they say, yeah, sure. And then I send them a Calendly link and then it all goes into my little, you know, automated things. But this time it was different because actually you've clearly, you know, I'm not the first person that asked you to be on the podcast. As you say, lots of people have come your uh, in your direction, particularly since writing the book. Um, you've obviously encountered this sort of, I guess, problem and figured out a way to solve the, you know, the attention that people want from you and how to manage that, right? Yeah. As far as automating certain steps of the process or incorporating certain tools into my business, Absolutely, that uh, something had to be set up pretty early on because otherwise it's just maddening. Like I, I love having a conversation with someone, but I find it challenging to go back and forth scheduling something. And so, yeah, like immediately, I think I might have been using Calendly. Yeah, actually, I was using Calendly before I started working independently because I was using it to book the qualitative interviews that I did for the book. And so it's just so much simpler uh, than emailing back and forth of like, oh my gosh, when are you free? When are you free? It's like, here's the link to my calendar. Like, take the spot that works for you. <laughs> and so finding ways to simplify, and this this is related certainly to user experience design, which is like, is there a simpler, more enjoyable way to do something? And so whether it's scheduling and booking or sharing like here's the parameters or like if you answer this short questionnaire this will be really efficient for an intake process like things like that uh as far as like designing a, an efficient business practice is is something that definitely is important and i definitely focused on setting up quite early on because without it, it it's pretty slow and painful and, and nobody needs to experience that not me and not any client that i'm working with mm. are you somebody who sets goals do you have a vision of like what you're trying to do or are you kind of like going with the flow? It's a little bit of both. I do have a vision of what I have to do. And then it's my responsibility to communicate that to the world and to say, this is who I am. This is what I'm here for. And then for the world to then say, is this what you're looking for? How does this fit? Let's have a conversation. And the majority of my work is inbound. Like, almost all of it is inbound. So I don't have to spend a lot of time focusing on like advertising or promotion. Maybe someday I will be less lucky and, and we'll have <laughs> to do that. But for the first year and a half of this business, it's been so heavily inbound requests that I, I don't necessarily have to stress about that part of it. It's really lucky. I feel really blessed. <laughs> yeah. Well, lucky. It's, you, you, you know, it's that kind of luck that you've built for yourself though isn't it i touched upon pricing in terms and like the business side of the freelance design work how have you found that this time around 
when it comes to suddenly, you know, you, the main way it looks like you're earning your income is, for example, as a speaker or a facilitator running workshops. How did you know how to gauge that kind of thing? Well, like, like I mentioned before, the internet is a wonderful place that can help you figure out what is adequate pricing for your level of experience, the level of exposure, the level of what you have to offer, how many things you've done, how many years of experience you have. And because I have, again, been running and speaking, running communities and doing speaking events for many, many years, although this topic I'm speaking about now is new, my expertise is not new. And so uh, there's a lot of really great tools online that can help somebody who like maybe they're interested in being a speaker um, to figure out like what their pricing should be. Um, my buddy Smiley also wrote a great book called The Breakthrough Speaker, where he shares a lot of examples in the book about a, using some of the tools that are available online, but also figuring out, again, with your level of exposure, your level of experience, like what are the different tiers that you can expect to get paid in certain types of speaking gigs, whether they're nonprofit or educational or corporate or conference, like all of this stuff is quite standard, honestly, and it's very easily available online. And then over time, you will adjust your rates according to, again, as your demand and, and expertise grows, you know, you're not going to be, you know, Barack Obama overnight, who's getting paid like <laughs> half a million dollars for a speaking gig, like, no. But as a human being with reasonable experience, like, there's, there's pretty standard, standard rates out there. Um, and it varies, you know, and it also, one thing that Smiley includes in his book that I think is really helpful is to tell people that it's not just about the money. It's also about who's in the audience. Like what is the value of speaking to this particular group of people? And sometimes that means you're a little bit more flexible with your rate because it's a group of people that you really, really want to connect with and who might lead to future mm. work. So it's not just dollars, you know, it's also what's the relationship, what might grow out of an opportunity. What would you say have you found like your biggest challenge? I would say definitely this unbuckling myself from the corporate nine to five mindset, particularly around work hours. This is something I think about a lot lately because, for example, as a writer and who you know wrote my book mostly on nights and weekends, sometimes the time that I feel most creative is between 10 p.m. and 1 a.m., you know, and no job that I've had before was like, yeah, that's an appropriate time to work. And so giving myself the permission to say, maybe I'm, I'm not available every single day from nine to five, just because that's what the corporate world does. And maybe I let myself be more flexible and creative and imaginative with honoring what my creative cycle is, what my energetic cycle is. And to say, yeah, I'm going to spend part of my night writing because that's literally the time where there's no texts, no emails, nothing's happening on social media. Like there's no interruptions coming in at that time of day that I also happen to feel very focused and very clear about, you know, wanting to get a piece of writing done, which is part of my work. Um, and so things like that are interesting. And also some of the work I do coaching means that my clients are available in the evening after they get off of work. And so if I know I'm going to be running a group coaching program and it's happening, you know, Tuesdays and Thursdays from six to seven thirty in the in the evening, that means it's okay if I'm not working like from nine in the morning because I'm gonna be already working till almost nine at night. And so it's very different to again feel a sense of permission to not necessarily be quote unquote going full steam working during all of the hours of the daytime 
if I know that I'm going to be working at other hours in the evening or sometimes on the weekend. But I do try to be really mindful around balance because burnout is not fun. I don't, and I, <laughs> I've had that before. I don't want it ever again. And I also think that being freelance or working independently is such a cool opportunity to literally design the kind of work life that you want. You know, I know a woman here in my area who's a women's business coach and she works three days a week and she makes a really good living working three days a week. And so she's in a way designed her own life and her own work to be both profitable and enjoyable. You know, she gets to spend time with her son the other four days of the week. She goes on long walks in nature, like just, it's a different way to live and it's a different way to work than maybe what a lot of us are told as kids of like, oh, you get a job, you go work at a company and then one day you die. Like, <laughs> it's like, actually, it doesn't have to be that way. <laughs> now, Kat, I always do this thing where I ask for three facts about yourself to make two true and one a lie and then let me figure out the lie. So what do you have for me? <laughs> okay, so here we go. Number one, I've walked barefoot on hot coals. Number two, I Zoom with my two best friends every single week. And number three, I've had a number one hit song on Sirius XM radio. <gasps> Sorry, you've had a number one? A number one song, yeah, on Sirius XM radio. Now that's like the satellite radio in the States, isn't it? It's sort of like the cable for radio where they have hundreds of stations. And you had a number one song. Okay, I've got to ask about this. So uh, let's start with Barefoot, though. When did you work? I mean, was it just a clumsy accident with a barbecue or was this for <laughs> charity? You've walked. What was the deal with the Barefoot and Coles? Yeah, so I had an opportunity to participate in a walking barefoot on hot coals experience that a lot of people were doing in this intentional community that I lived in. And I was like, that sounds crazy. I'm not into danger and pain. I <laughs> am not interested. <laughs> but but I went to go support my friends. I was like, they're going to do this weird thing. And while I was sitting there collecting research on how this worked out for them, <laughs> I saw that <laughs> they were okay. Like they did it. And it was really intense, but they did it and they were fine. And I investigated their feet and I was like, your feet aren't burned. I'll do it too. And so I did it. And I, it was so mind blowing that as soon as I was done, I got back in line and I did it again a second time. And it's a magical experience where if everything is set up correctly, when you're done, your feet are not burned at all. Wow. I was going to say, please don't try this at home. Don't try this at home. <laughs> Number two, you, so you Zoom now, is this pre-pandemic as in you've always, you Zoom your best friends? So one actually lives near here and one lives on the other side of the country. That, I mean, that feels true. Number one song. This is brilliant. <laughs> okay. So especially if it's not even true, because I can't wait to hear what you make up. But maybe it is. You are like a, you know, a writer and a poet. So what was the song? So it was a kid song about learning math. Um, specifically your times tables. And yeah, I saw that there was, you know, a need for some updated schoolhouse rock style music for kids because there's nothing cool to help you, you know, learn math in an educational way, but also enjoyable to listen to. And me and a buddy who he was a DJ used to be 
a kindergarten teacher. And me, as a poet and spoken word artist, was like, let's just make this music together. And so we did. And then sent it to Sirius XM Radio, and they put it on the radio. And then the hit single went to number one on their chart, on their kids and family station. <laughs> what was it called? The song or the album? Oh, there's a, a whole album. Well, what was the song called? So the song is called Five on Five, and the album is Musiplication, which is music and multiplication. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Oh, come on, this has to be true. And I tell you what, I mean, I don't know whether you're aware of this, but how long ago was that? Oh, God, it was like in the Ice Ages. I was a baby. Um, Because there is a market for this on YouTube, Kat, is all I'm saying. I have sat through so many bad maths songs videos on YouTube, and uh yet they still have millions of views. So if you've hit on something which is good, I reckon you need to revisit that. (laughs) I'm not even joking. Stick a little bit of animation on it, and you're away. You could have the next Baby Shark. So, number one song. I reckon that's true. You're clearly someone who, like, if you think, as you say, DIY, if you think of something, you go and do it. So I don't know. Either that's true or you've thought about it like (laughs) drunk one night with your friend but never actually did it zoom your best friends i don't know like why would you make that up that sounds real and so barefoot and yet i'll be honest barefoot on coal sounded true as well so all of these sound true i mean the one which sounds most unlikely is clearly the number one single but like i say i will be upset if that's not true so i'm gonna say you've never walked on hot coals oh Good guess, but unfortunately wrong. I have. And it was, yeah, it's all science. It's There's a science to how it works and does not scar your feet forever. <laughs> okay, please, please tell me you had a number one single. I did. I did. You did? Yeah, on the kids and yes! family radio station. <laughs> Singing about Amazing. math. Because <laughs> I'm a big so giant cool. nerd who would sing songs about math. <laughs> <laughs> That's so good. Uh, I'm not even joking about the YouTube thing. You, you and your mate need to get on that. So you don't zoom. Oh, that was just clearly true. And it just wasn't. Oh. I might seem believable, but no, I do not zoom my two best friends every single week. In fact, I have never zoomed with my two best friends, which is perhaps even more unbelievable. Because um, I talk about connection and I have many, many, many suggestions for how to cultivate connection. But video conferencing is not everybody's cup of tea, including mine. And nor is it the cup of tea of my two best friends. So we do many other things. We write letters. We have phone calls. We have a very intense, like, texting habit, um, snail mail, like, so many other things. uh, But we do not video conference because none of us enjoy that. (laughs) Yeah. Um, You mentioned cultivating connection you know for people listening who um you know are working from home often isolated but also you know want to get into communities of some sort like what would be your uh, advice and you you saying this as somebody who recognized yourself as being introvert as well mm-hmm. so when it comes to finding a, a whole bunch of friends quickly um and wanting to be a part of a community it takes courage and some vulnerability to put yourself out there. I just want to acknowledge that. It's not always easy for folks to do that uh, because we grow up with fear of rejection and like sometimes feeling unsure of how we fit in socially and on all of those things. I just want to acknowledge it's not always easy, even though the steps might be simple. 
one of the first uh, biggest pieces of advice I give for people who want to feel a greater sense of belonging or community is to acknowledge first what you yourself are interested in. Like, what are the things that you enjoy? What, how do you enjoy spending your free time? Like, what matters to you in this world? And then look for groups of people, like communities that already exist, that also care about that thing or do the thing that you want to do. And then just show up consistently, join, participate, be active, be friendly, like talk to other people and show up again and again and again. And if you do that, you'll become a regular. And once you become a regular in a space or whether it's a physical space or a community that's online, then you start to get familiarity. And if you just stick with it long enough, you will then find that sense of connection and belonging. Again, if you're showing up openly, really connecting in a positive way with other people, um, and being dedicated. You know, it's, it's not a one-shot deal. Sometimes people want to go to one meetup and leave with like all your best friends. And it's like, I wish it was that simple. It's not quite that simple. Um, and in adulthood, it does take a level of intentionality and dedication to show up and, and make sure that these things happen because they don't just happen spontaneously. You have to put in a bit of effort. Love that. Now, Kat, if you could tell your younger self one thing about being freelance, what would that be? I would say that it's not as scary as you think, and it's a lot more fun than you think. Were you scared, though? Mm, I think when I was younger, I was, because it seems so unstable, you know? Especially, again, like as someone who grew up like with these very stable kinds of training or expectation about mm. like what to what being a grown-up means or what that looks like or, or what that it was like always a very like cookie cutter nine to five corporate job thing. And so I believed that I didn't have a lot of other examples. And so it just seemed like the wild, wild west to not make that choice. And I was like, how, how do people do that? And it wasn't something I was drawn to until suddenly I was. And so when you feel that pull and you jump in with both feet, you realize very quickly, you're like, oh, I know how to swim. This is okay. I can do this. Brilliant. Um, guys, go to beingfreelance.com and check out what Kat is up to. Um, go read her book, which, you know, it's funny how many people, I've, I've not heard a, a book on that topic. And yet I have had many conversations, as you say, like, about people struggling to make friends as they get older, I guess. So um, it sounds absolutely fascinating. I love what you're doing with it as well. And I'll be honest, I reckon it's, I, I can't wait to see what you come up with next. I mean, other than the math songs on YouTube, uh, there is there's, there's a sneaky feeling. There's so much more to come and I can't wait to see what it is. Um, go to beingfreelance.com. As ever, for all of our guests, you can find transcript, show notes, links through so you can reach out to Kat and check out her book as well. But for now, Kat, thank you so much and all the best being freelance. Thank you, Steve. Same to you. Yes, yeah, so there goes Cat. Being Freelance is made by me, Steve Folland. Everything you need to know about it is at beingfreelance.com. And if you want to support what I do to keep making these podcasts and running the community and so on and so forth, you can top up my biscuit tin online, uh, be it a one-off donation or a monthly one. Thank you so much to everybody who does. Go to beingfreelance.com slash coffee. All right. I hope all is well for you. You have a great week. Being Freelance. Being Freelance.